Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. Uh, this is another chapter of Watchmen Talk, a series of conversations with Israeli security experts and practitioners. And we are honored to have with us today Brigadier General Ephraim Effie Defrin, the head of the International Cooperation Division of the Israeli Defense Forces uh, General Staff. Brigadier General Defrin is uh, an armor officer. He was wounded in combat in Lebanon in 2006 when he led his battalion into battle. When he recuperated, uh, he moved on. In the Israeli Defense Forces, he commanded a brigade and uh, later on became the Israeli Defense Attaché in India. And as uh, now um, somewhat of an expert on military diplomacy, was promoted to head the ICD, the International Cooperation Division of the Israeli military. Effie Defrin, welcome. Thank you very much, and thank you for these beautiful opening remarks. <laughs> Not at all. Um, we saw that you uh, parked your Merkava tank downstairs. <laughs> and let's start with the fact that you belong to the armor branch before we expand to the uh, relationship between the Israeli Defense Forces and other militaries around uh, the world. Uh, Merkava is a unique tank, uh, supposedly one of its kind um, in the uh, world. What's so unique about it? Well, first of all, it was, uh, I think the Merkava tank was built uh, uh, in order to serve the Israeli needs. Um, two different uh, means for that. First is the, our experience in the different uh, campaigns we had during the years, since the 60s and 70s. And uh, let's be fair, I mean, the uh, import of uh, military goods from different parts of the world became hard during the years because of political reasons. This is why Israeli isolated and, you know, uh, uh, surrounded by enemies in order to survive uh, needed to be uh, to take the initiative and to uh, develop uh, its own uh, weapons, including main battle tank, which is the Merkava tank. So this is one thing. And the second thing is our... Uh, Again, I think it's unique design of, uh, you know, protecting the crew, protecting the people. It's a small country. Uh, the human resources, they have small amount, you know, talking about the 60s and 70s, we're talking about 3 million people, uh, population. And uh, we had, uh, in, and in addition, we uh, believe that, uh, we, we, we try to believe that the, the uh, protecting the lives of the and every, uh, every human life, uh, you know, is important, very important for us. So we designed the tank, or our four, uh, or our the fathers uh, of the, the Israeli Merkava tank, tried to make it more protected, in order to uh, you know protect the crew, and not to lose even one soldier. Because we can lose tanks, but uh, uh, the uh, human uh, you know the human uh, uh, advantage we have uh, amongst our our enemies is more important than the than the. You, you're tank. talking. Um among other things, the General Israel Tal, Talik, uh, who came up with the concept uh, of uh, Merkava, of course, there were uh, tanks around the world, the, the Chieftain, Leopard, and others, um, M1, Abrams. But uh, his idea was to put the engine yeah, right. in front of the uh, uh, crew compartment, because if uh, the, uh, the tank is going to be disabled, 
by heating the engine better that the engine becomes another uh, layer of protection. Yeah, right, totally right, totally agree with you. I think you hit the nail. Uh, during the, talking, talking statistically, about 60% of the hits against Israeli tanks in our uh, campaigns, again, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, were in the front of the tank, which means loss of life and uh, a lot of casualties. So uh, putting the tank in the front, which is very unique to the Israeli tank, uh, added a layer, big layer of, uh, and wide layers of protection to the crew people. So uh, it proved as, uh, as vital and very successful. So far, so good. Uh, and uh, between the uh, 1967 Six-Day War and the 1973 Yom Kippur War, armor was the flavor of the day. And many other Israeli uh, youth who uh, would otherwise have gone um, uh, to the Air Force or the power troops uh, preferred becoming uh, armor crew members and, and officers. But something happened in 1973, and uh, we see, you talk about statistically, uh, we see that ever since that war, no armor officer has been appointed uh, general uh, staff chief. We had only infantry, paratroop officers, and one uh, pilot who was our guest uh, <laughs> recently. Uh, so um, what happened to, uh, to the tank and to the uh, uh, tank career corps? So first, maybe it's about time to have an armor officer as the chief. <laughs> we have a deputy now, which is uh, probably going to be one of the candidates for the next uh, for the, the chief position uh, in the future. So uh, we definitely see top uh, or senior Israeli officer armor officers in the top echelon of the military and uh, around the table of decision makers. And uh, they didn't reach recently the top, uh, but uh, definitely they are amongst the most uh, important uh, positions, like we have the chief of uh, intelligence uh, these days and the, the previous uh, chief of army, and uh, as I mentioned, chief of uh, southern command, which became the deputy chief, and he is nominated to be the next chief, one of the candidates again. So we still hold uh, a very important position around the, the table of the, uh, uh, of the higher, higher command. And uh, you know, naturally, the gap between the war, the wars became uh, bigger. It became more, you know, uh, uh, the, the what we call the war between the wars became more popular. Uh, the small uh, operations, you know, the covert and overt operations, small amount of uh, soldiers uh, dealing with very precise, you know, uh, you operations. don't kill. Iranian scientists by tanks. Exactly, exactly. And this is less popular. It, uh, you know, tank is, uh, doesn't look good in television amongst population. There is a beautiful book written by uh, a British scholar, previous general, uh, called Rupert Smith. He, the name of the book is The War Amongst the People. And, the, and the, I think this is the, uh, it was written about 10 years back or 15 years back. Beautiful book. And I, I think this uh, emphasized exactly what you asked about. A tank doesn't look good in the camera in the middle of, uh, you know, uh, refugee camps in the West Bank or wherever it is. Not only in Israel, around the world as a whole. And again, we are trying to prevent uh, un, uh, unnecessary uh, uh, casualties amongst uh, the navies, uh, the, the, our enemies in our different uh, conflicts. So we try to do it more precise. And tank is very still very relevant, still very important when it needed. It needs to be ready. And this is the main, you know, paradox in this issue. So we are on the side of the camera, um, yeah. when you talk about uh, cameras versus combat uh, vehicles. But um, General Tal, whom I mentioned, uh, always uh, used uh, to get very angry when people uh, came up with pronouncements about the death of the tank. 
the tank now has uh, more little enemies. At one, uh, one time, uh, it was the helicopter, the Apaches and uh, the rest. Um, and what he meant was that for the purposes of stopping an invasion from the Sinai or from Syria, only armored columns, not all of them tanks, of course, also uh, armored personnel carriers and artillery and the rest, but only those kind of troops would be able to stop uh, an onslaught. But nevertheless, as you mentioned, regarding uh, maneuvers uh, which are less short of war, right. who are, what are the enemies of the tank right now? Uh, are they IEDs, uh, the improvised uh, explosive devices, uh, very precise and lethal and long-range anti-tank missiles? Can the tank uh, cope with those? Well, first, uh, there is a change. There is an evolution in the face of war, in the nature of war, in which, as I mentioned before, uh, the, and you, as you said, you know, the uh, traditional warfare, tanks, columns against tank columns and armor vehicles against armor vehicles uh, and colliding in the battlefield is almost not relevant anymore. We still need to maintain some capability to uh, prevent uh, this from happening. But uh, it's less and less relevant. So naturally, uh, the role of a tank in this uh, new phase of war or new nature of war is, is changes. It is still very relevant. But um, if you look, uh, and unfortunately, I have the personal experience from 2006, which was the last war uh, in which the IDF, the Israeli military, and I think around the world, it's a unique example of when a military, modern military is uh, maneuvering against an enemy, which is a different enemy. It's not the traditional enemy of uh, um, armored battalions against armored battalions. It was so Hezbollah so fighters. It was Hezbollah. It was terror, as you mentioned, IEDs, anti-tank guided, guided missiles. Again, it's, it's proxies. It's organization used by certain countries. In our case, it's Iran, proxies of Iran, uh, men-powered and trained by Iranian uh, best schools and uh, equipped by Iranian weapons. We have, I mean, it's not a secret. We have proofs for that. Uh, you know, uh, we have shipments of uh, ATGMs, anti-tank guided missiles, the best, the cutting edge of technology in the world uh, used by this proxy organization. Cornet, exactly, Cornet, uh, AT-15, and so on and so forth, other kind of weapons. But again, uh, the cutting edge of technology. So this is the main challenge of a tank. Now, on, this is on one hand, the challenge has have changed. But on the other hand, uh, it is still relevant because in order to penetrate uh, military uh, enemy land and to prevent threats and to uh, engage it, the best, the quick way and the most protected way is doing it by armored vehicle, which can uh, deal with different kind of terrain. And you talked about the Merkava first, which was designed for our special needs and special terrain surrounding us. Uh, we call ourselves the Israel Defense Force. We have no, I just want to emphasize, we have no intention to invade any country and, or to conquer any other land. We, are, uh, we prefer to stay safe in our borders. But sometimes, in order to prevent threat, like the precise guided missiles we are facing these days, from Lebanon, again in Iran, uh, building these factories in Lebanon, we might get into a stage in which we will have to maneuver into the enemy's land and to stop these, uh, for example, shootings like we faced. So if, for instance, we take um, a village in South Lebanon where uh, Hezbollah forced the residents to hide such missiles in their very homes and point them towards Israel, it 
could be better under certain uh, scenarios to send um, an armored platoon or company rather than an infantry squad, which could be more vulnerable to uh, hidden snipers and IEDs and the like. Yeah, definitely. First, I mean, we provide we provide to do it together. I mean, the uh, the uh, secret to uh, success is the uh, box tool any commander has. You know, combining infantry, tanks, air force, and other capabilities we have, technology, cyber, you know, in the air, in the land, and sometimes in the sea. A regimental or battalion combat team. Exactly, combat teams combined, which, uh, you know, uh, will have the, the synergy between them, will have the added value to, uh, to face any challenge. Now, the com- combination of these forces, tanks, you know, we mentioned before, uh, infantry, using air power, whatever, is according to the threat we are facing, and we need to keep uh, agility. I think agility and flexibility, this is the main challenge of the new generation of military uh, warfare. We are trying to teach and learn and adapt to the, uh, and, and uh, of course, be ahead of our enemies all the time. There is also another um, development uh, in technology, and that is connectivity and uh, computers, fire control, where each tank uh, is a firing unit connected to others and can point uh, the way, not only tanks, of course, planes and, uh, and other um, instruments of war. So that would also give the Israeli Defense Forces an edge over more primitive enemies. Right. I mean, we prefer to see the tank not as, an, not as a weapon, but as a system of weapons. And uh, which combines all the things you mentioned. We're using a lot of technology, connectivity between, and this is one of the main lessons we learned from 2006, connectivity between the different uh, uh, forces, again, air, land, sea, and different uh, capabilities. The connectivity can bring the added value. And the synergy between these forces uh, is the, 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 the main answer we can have to the challenges we are facing. Again, it's not traditional militaries. As you mentioned Hezbollah entrenching in, inside villages and forcing the, village, the poor villages in South Lebanon. We have no intention to capture a village uh, and to run it the day after. No, we want to stop Hezbollah from shooting at Israel. The problem is, like we faced uh, the very, very unfortunate incident in the Beirut uh, port, uh, only recently the, this huge uh, devastating uh, uh, explosion was an example for what can happen in South Lebanon. In South Lebanon, there are, I think, uh, dozens, maybe hundreds of villages in which we know in, in where Hezbollah, you know, uh, uh, stored its weapons on the base, basement of houses, of, uh, you know, of, of towers, full with people. So uh, this is something we are trying to reflect to the United Nations, to the international community, uh, this, this, this threat we are facing. What it makes us uh, do is to adapt and to try to be more precise and, you know, hit the nail every time we will need to attack anyone in order to hit the enemy to stop it from uh, uh, launching precise guided missiles at Israel and avoid as much as we can uh, from uh, targeting uh, un, uh, you know, uh, civilians. Yes, uninvolved civilians, right. General this is Defrin, a huge challenge. In the uh, decade after uh, you fought in Lebanon and uh, was wounded, um, after you were wounded, um, you came up in the ranks, uh, you um, commanded a brigade, you became the deputy commander of an armored division uh, in the Golan Heights uh, facing uh, Syria. And then um, you were asked whether you want to go and serve as an attaché in India. What uh, enticed you uh, to it? <laughs> what, what was so attractive? 
So first it's, you know, sometimes it's reality that takes you to places you didn't plan. I was in my dreams. I planned to uh, command an armored division. I was, uh, I joined, uh, you know, we have compulsory service. I joined the military, the armored corps in 1991. I fell in love, like what happened to most of youngsters who joined this uh, corps, the armored corps. I fell in love with tanks. And I imagined myself at one step. First, I wanted to be a psychologist. I didn't plan to stay in the military for a career. And then I stayed a little bit more and more and more. It's the need. I love what I do. And at some, some stage, I, uh, I thought I would become a division commander, an armored division commander. And then I had the opportunity to go and study uh, abroad. So I did my staff course in the UK, which was a wonderful opportunity to open myself to the world professionally. And Kimberley? And, uh, uh, what was Kimberley? Now it's ACSC. It's uh, stationed in Shrivenham, which is uh, uh, south or east of, uh, of London. Former chief of staff, yeah. uh, Boggy Alon, uh, was right. one of... Uh, right, right, and many others. There. It's a wonderful establishment. It gives you, especially as, as an Israeli and as a uh, citizen of the Middle East, go to some third place and meet the international community, you know, uh, uh, a variety of officers and also uh, our neighbors. Recently, we have more uh, peace treaties and, uh, uh, with our neighbors, but at that time, I think we're talking about 2007, 2008, meet our neighbors and, and be able to talk with them. From what countries? From a variety of countries, Egypt, even Lebanon, Jordan, uh, UAE, Saudi Arabia, even Yemen was in 2008, and we became very good friends. So if when you meet uh, a Lebanese officer, the Israeli military did not fight the LAF, the Lebanese Armed Forces, in 2006, only Hezbollah. And even earlier, in 1982 on, it fought the uh, Palestinians, uh, not the uh, Lebanese, even though, of course, it's uh, on Lebanese soil. When you uh, meet such a Lebanese officer, what sort of an interaction uh, takes up? Well, it's, it's, I, I, had, I was very lucky to, uh, to, to face these uh, challenges or opportunities two times, separated time. First, when I studied in England, 2008, and then recently when I studied in India. I did my National Defense College in Delhi, India, for one year, beautiful and wonderful pro- program. Again, it was very unique and, and, and very interesting to uh, to meet our uh, neighbors. Uh, they, uh, in the, I mean, we don't. For us, everybody is a friend. Especially, I have no uh, limitations by my government or by military officers to meet anyone. I can meet anyone as a friend and bring him to my house and have Shabbat dinner, uh, and which I did many times. And our wives became friends, and we became friends. So the first stage is suspicious. But for them, it's not... Uh... It's not that simple at all. It's totally different. And we as Israelis must understand that and not force ourselves among them, on them uh, at the beginning. So the first stage is uh, very suspicious. It's like uh, meeting a new girl when you're 16 years old. It's amazing to see that they don't approach you as you Israeli. So most of the time you wear Israeli uniform for them. They demonize us. We are the Satan for them. Some, sometimes they think, and they are, most of them are very educated, very smart people, and they have their opinion on us. So my uh, challenge was to, uh, you know, close the gap physically and to shake their hands first. You know, uh, present myself. You mentioned uh, uh, Major General Eyal um, Zamir, who, uh, the, who is the most senior uh, armor officer now, along with, with Tamir Hyman, the director of military intelligence. And the next uh, deputy chief of staff, uh, Major General Helzia Levy, told me that when he went to school in the United States and he came from the paratroopers, one Arab uh, officer didn't want to uh, talk to him because he said, 
you pilots have bombed us. He said, no, this is, this is not a pilot swing. This is a paratrooper swing. He said, doesn't matter. If you're yeah. wearing a wing, you bombed us. It can bring you into very strange situation. Like, I mean, the first is there is, is, there is suspicious. And then I, I make it short after a few days, after interaction, when they see you are not that bad, you're not the devil itself. You, actually, we have common ground. We are, again, we are citizens of the Middle East. We have much more in common than, uh, than things to separate us. So uh, we cannot, we can, most of the times, both in my both experiences, we became good friends. There were some incidents in which the uh, other side didn't want even to look at me directly, which is very sad because I think uh, at the end of the day, every one of us wants to get back to his home, to his children. And to have peace and to live normally with our neighbors. We don't have any... any uh... In the British Command and Staff College, you usually go to a certain part of the world as part of uh, right. your class, not your own uh, part. Where did you go? Well, I, uh, as part of the... Uh, my studies in the UK, we went to uh, Europe uh, and also to, uh, uh, to the United States. Um, and when I studied in India, we traveled to uh, China, Vietnam, Maldives... In the surrounding countries, also the U.S., we had uh, there were opportunities for me to go to Egypt, but I uh, wasn't elected to go to Egypt naturally because it's one of it's our backyard, and uh, we these days we have. Do you also go to um, historic uh, battle uh, grounds in Europe, for instance, Normandy or? Yeah, Europe? of course. This is another angle of the story, you know, as an Israeli uh, going to Europe to study uh, the Second World War. As um, first, as military history is one of the biggest battles. You know, the invasion of the Allies to, to Europe is something amazing in military history, and we study that in deep. Also in the Israeli academies, in my in my experience, but uh, also we have another angle for this, which is the uh, Holocaust, and you know, our one of the basic thing we are educated for. You know, we learn about it's part of our families. My father originally is from Romania. He lost his family in the Holocaust. They were all slaughtered by the Romanian military at the time when they, the first phase of the war when they collaborated with the Nazis. Uh, so it's something personal. It's something national and personal for each and one of us. Uh, so uh, this is something we learned about this period of time in Europe. Studying in, in, in Europe, you know, doing the stuff course, course in England and going to, you, to these battlefields and study about this period of time without mentioning the angle of the Holocaust was very strange to me. And I found myself, even in a visit to Auschwitz during uh, these studies, the uh, topic of the study wasn't the Jews or the Holocaust or slaughtering you know, innocent people or genocide. The, the topic was the limitation of uh, implementing military force and how, uh, as, as, a, as a soldier... Or you mean a, the legal? Yeah, the legal uh, aspects of that, and you know, and ethical uh, aspects of of, a, of an officer of a, or a senior officer. When not to obey a command? Exactly. Uh, what are the limitations, and how you can, you know, this uh, slippery uh, slippery slide? How you can get into this situation? How to avoid them? And then I was sitting there and said, "Wait, there is a the, the, our, my angle to that. There is my uh, point of view." The about side that. of the victims. So uh, I was, you know, as an Israeli, I didn't try not to push myself and or to educate the system. But then the visit to Auschwitz was something I will never forget. I was in Auschwitz a few times uh, uh, with Israeli uh, delegations, but it was very unique. I, I was the only Israeli. I was not the only Jewish man over there. Some of the officers uh, you know, discovered the Jewish identity uh, because of this visit, which was very emotional. And I remember a Qatari officer, which was a big guy. He was a lieutenant colonel. 
It was a pilot, uh, helicopter pilot running to me with his phone open. It was the first days of cellular phone. Yeah, we had the big ones running with tears in his eyes. He was talking to his wife, hugged me and said, he said horrible thing about the Palestinians at that time. He said, you know, they educated us to hate you. They educated us that this thing never happened. It was all an, uh, an invention of the British and the uh, Israelis and the Jewish, you know, the, uh, the uh, uh, Zionist. Zionist movement in order to throw the Palestinians out of Palestine. And, uh, and, you know, there is a museum there. You see horrible things and you face it. When you face it your, um, yourself, he became my, my best friend. The next Friday when he arrived back in England, he showed up at my house. I invited him to my house for a Friday dinner a few times. He never showed up. He always had excuses. But he came. It was a part of uh, officers who came from my team. And we became best of friends uh, from this moment. And uh, it was amazing. Can you, can you keep up with such friends uh, once you say goodbye and go back to, to your home country? So, for, so fortunately, these days I have very good connections. We have WhatsApp groups in which we connect in, in a group. So it's not individual uh, uh, interaction. But I still, in birthdays and uh, you know, uh, wedding anniversaries, I send WhatsApp. Sometimes they, sometimes they reply, sometimes not, but... Uh... General Dufferin, uh, this is um, the first of two chapters in our conversation, and we will get uh, to the gist of military diplomacy uh, quite soon in, in the next uh, chapter. But just to close your story about uh, the um, UK military schooling, did you present any topic which was new to your uh, colleagues there? And what was your impression comparatively of the Israeli Defense Forces vis-a-vis -vis other forces less experienced? So, for, so I think <laughs> you answered with your question. <laughs> It's a very good question because uh, I, I felt it. I mean, not officially, but uh, unofficially I was very, very uh, popular because many... Many uh, officers from different other uh, militaries uh, were trying to engage me and to learn more about our experience. Again, unfortunately, the uh, average uh, leverage we have uh, amongst other militaries, modern militaries, Western militaries, is our uh, you know, experience with the uh, conflicts we have around us in the phenomena of the new, uh, uh, the new nature of war we are facing every day. You know, the lone wolf uh, phenomena which we faced for several years and these proxy organizations using uh, high-tech and uh, cutting-edge technology against uh, uh, an organized mili modern militaries. Also, you command troops uh, on every right. level. It's a platoon, company, right, battalion. Right. Which is uh, a very unique experience in... Uh, Militaries, Western militaries didn't face this uh, experience recently. They have very good experience now these days in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, especially during the 90s and uh, beginning of the, of the 20th century, but, uh, but not as we have. And I was very popular regarding this issue. Also regarding the uh, Israeli history, the Jewish history and the Israeli history. It was very interesting for people who never met in Israeli, also the Arab officers, to engage with you and see your point of view. And sometimes, you see, uh, people have their opinion, with which the knowledge come from the BBC News, you know, the three minutes uh, okay, so what they have on us. But Better BGFE than BBC or other Bs. <laughs> uh, we will expand on that uh, in the second part of our conversation. Brigadier General Effie uh, Defrin, thank you for that. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.